Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Dive, Season 2, Episode 14. We're back from Miami. Not very excited about Episode 14. Usually, usually that, you're Episode you know what? 14. That was the worst intro. Really? Janet yeah, I think done. it is. I'm in agreement. All right, let, let's hear your intro, Kobe. Welcome to Episode 14. 14. We're back from Miami. Azale is here. Jad is here. We're going to talk about EU, Korea, and North America today. That was fantastic. Yeah, Good you job, bring the hype. You bring the hype, Kobe. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. It's like we're doing the dive with a friend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's start with Korea, actually. Okay. We usually end up starting with global news. That's usually Korea. Man, I panicked there, actually. Whew. You didn't know. Well, I'm glad that's pulled over. it off. Yeah. Pulled it off, but you still didn't put us into the first topic, unfortunately. Okay. So, that's why you're up. here. That's for next That's, yeah. that's why next dad is here. <laughs> yeah. Baby steps. So a Freak of Freaks versus King Zone is actually going to be the final in the LCK, but I want to talk a little bit about the semi-final match where they played against KT. People had the telecom war where KT actually dethroned SKT, and you're like, wow, maybe this is KT's year. <laughs> no, they still didn't even make the finals, but it was a really cool matchup, uh, and I actually... Even though I think there's a slim chance that Afrika beats Kingzone, there's some stuff that we want to talk about of how cool yeah. their game was. It was actually just so fun to watch. I mean, uh, some of the times when we start approaching international tournaments and you're grinding VODs and VODs and VODs, mm -hmm. uh, you start to get a little bored, uh, you know, writing notes for all the teams. Yep. But it is, it is so fun to watch Afrika. Um, and I like how... Uh, Papa Smithy kept on giving credit to the coaches because mm -hmm. there were so many interesting things that they did. And it kind of it kind of reminded me of why I fell in love with Misfits at Worlds last year, because, right. you know, they're, they're trying these different counters and trying their own strategies uh, and they're being successful with them. Mm -hmm. uh, not only was it, you know, these champion counter picks like the Malphite and the Velka is pulling out, but also the item builds even in the game. They have the Karma mid. He rushes first item banner mm -hmm. to keep pressure on the Talia, keep him from roaming uh, and it was just a lot of different looks that that really made me excited for this Afrika Kingzone matchup coming up. Even though the whole split, we've been like, "Oh God, Kingzone's so good! It's going to be insane." They're definitely going to MSI. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a really fun series, and, and to me, definitely the standout was Kuro. I thought well, not only from picks, but also mm -hmm. the builds, like you were saying, uh, the banner rush Karma. I think specifically because it was against Talia, like it made so much sense as far as Talia's trying to get out of lane and roam and, and punish the side lanes. Mm -hmm. Now you have this Karma who's perma-pushing with a bannered-up minion. If you leave lane at all, like you're probably going to lose your turret or you're going to lose a lot of farm at the very least. So not only did he keep uh, you know, his, his lane opponent in check, he was actually drawing the jungler there constantly to try to even deal with these banner minions. So like I, I thought that was so smart. The Cause really took over that game. The Yasuo game mm -hmm. was super hype. Like he gave four different champions that were all pretty unique uh, and, and played them at such a such a high level. So it was it was a really exciting series. Yeah, I liked the item builds mostly uh, out of Afrika. The Relic Shield every game on jungle I thought was pretty cool. There's a chance we'll see more of that at MSI with the fact that cannons now give For like so 80 gold. Yeah. That's that's the first thing I was thinking of is like build a banner so you can like yeah. try and make them uh, miss a relic the cannon. Uh, or I was also thinking oh, build a banner. <laughs> Um, the next level, so you can banner it versus the mage, and then yeah. it'll tilt them because they can't get the, the cannon money. And if you could just run into lane, people always joke about smiting the cannon, but running in relic shielding the cannon, like mm -hmm. you're saying, that's like almost killing like a gromp. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and based on timings, if you do it mid lane and then run bottom lane, like the timing works out generally correct. It mm -hmm. kind of 
telegraphs exactly where you're going to go and might make you open a counter jungle and could be really awful, but it'll charge up your relic shield so quickly that you'll basically get your jungle sightstone back or your tracker's knife back. And we know that a lot of teams want to do that. Uh, but aside from that in the jungle, I liked the 80 carry builds from Kramer on Varus. Uh, don't know if they're going to keep doing this, but this was the 8.6 rage blade, which was like 3000 gold that then multiplies your AD and AP. So it was that into like a crit build from Varus. So actually a huge amount of AD late game. And yeah, that, that's pretty much it as far as the banner and the Yasuo stuff. Just a bunch of cool stuff that you could tell they had put a lot of time into that then was effective against KT. It was yeah. a combination that's pretty rare. If you haven't seen that series, I definitely uh, would recommend it. As far as the Rage Blade, I know it gets a huge nerf, 300 gold cost increase for mm -hmm. it. And that is one of the biggest cost increases I have actually ever seen. Without any change of stats or anything. Yeah, from uh, from our systems teams uh, to an item. And the Rage Blade, it was insanely OP. Like, yeah. I was re rushing it on like any champion that can possibly use it. Um, so maybe it's in like a better spot right now. I'm not sure quite yet if that yeah. was an over nerf or maybe it just gets pushed to later in your build. Yeah, going to be interesting to see. I think you can maybe still do it late, but the game of the series for me would have been game two yeah. when it was the Velkaz and the Malphite solo lanes from Afrika <laughs> into the Camille and the Azir. Uh, even though, like, I think you can argue how much of a counterpick Malphite would be into Camille, it's still was cool and new and clever mm -hmm. in a lot of different ways and I think was pretty effective in the laning phase and the fact that uh, they shut out KT in that game as well with such uncommon picks. Getting to see Tucson play the Rakan separate from the Zaya and also be super effective was, was pretty cool for me too. Um, I mean, the whole series was, was definitely really interesting. Like, I, I kind of... I'm pretty interested in the Malphite because I'd heard the Malphite pretty hyped up. Like from uh, like some of my friends were mm -hmm. talking about it. Like when I went to play yesterday, uh, people, were, oh yeah, did you see the Malphite game? Like a hard counters Camille, all this stuff. And that I watched the game, and I think that was pretty. Like a lot of the community talk was pretty overblown about what it did because you know in lane Malphite was down like 10 or 15 CS or whatever. It's not like that's horrible, but it was just it felt like mostly he just went even and didn't mm -hmm. allow the Camille to really get ahead. But he also wasn't really smashing the Camille. Um, but, it, but it is an interesting pick, and I also think it's more examples of the fact that you don't need to just play meta. There's a lot of different champions that can fit into these roles and be very effective. And, you know, had the game not been so one-sided, the Malphite likely would have been extremely effective in teamfights against the Azir and these sorts of things. Right. But that never really needed to even happen because every lane basically won across the map, and it didn't really get to that point. Yeah, I agree with you that, like, super hard counters or whatever are actually pretty rare in the game. Yeah. But answers... Like that, uh, you know, unique answers are, are yep. really cool because mm -hmm. you know Malphite got his W buff so much he gets all this bonus armor and he's yep. still he still first built uh, tank items right. You yep. know, you Rough got your Sunfire. Ninja Tabby and your Sunfire Cape, so you're getting a lot of value out of your percentage armor increases and uh, you know the passive for extra shield. So it makes sense that he can take the one v ones with. Uh, you know, the Squisher Camille. And then the added, I'm building a Trinity Force anyway. Yeah. It makes you still feel cool about <laughs> I wonder about being like a solo laner, right? <laughs> Instead of a full yeah. tank bot. It's interesting because like, you know, with the Q Max, you're, you're obviously trying to like poke out your opponent from lane and stuff. But since that never really happened, like he wasn't actually able to poke out the Camille. Like, I don't know if Camille went second win, but he started Doran's shield. And, mm -hmm. and like that alone seemed like it made it hard. So I was kind of wondering... If he should have just gone like an Emacs, and when you're going early Sunfire with Emacs, you have really good wave clear, and you could actually just push in your opponent and then look for Rome. So I don't know if that would have been more effective, or if it was like a conscious choice to not expose yourself to ganks or what. But uh, it's definitely an interesting to think about. But uh, I, I felt like it was a pretty competitive series. It it did seem to me that KT just 
their macro choices were kind of the downfall for them. Like, especially when you're looking at game three, uh, they're like fateful. I think it was a, an air dragon or whatever they're going when mm -hmm. a is just pushing down mid lane and essentially just like ends the game. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's, it's gotta be kind of disappointing for KT fans to constantly see them fall short in these ways, but it doesn't seem like they fixed a lot of their issues. Like they, yeah. they are still really strong laners. They're strong individually, mm -hmm. but they, they don't work very well as a team. Hey man, they beat SKT. They did. <laughs> they did it. That's true. They got championship points, third place uh, if, in Korea. Still, is, still can go to Worlds. This is Afrika's first ever series win, right? As far as I know, like in playoffs. In playoffs. This is their first ever. Um, yeah. I think even when they were winning the first game, uh, Papa Smithy was saying it might have even been their first game victory. Yeah, because they had playoffs. They had like lost not even two, whole series. They had lost two zero in the wild card every single other time, yeah. and now they're in the finals. So that's pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of the finals, do you have? Any thoughts going up against King Zone? I do have some more thoughts. Um, Azale was saying, he, you know, Kuro was a standout, and like, he he was he was definitely super innovative. I think that their bottom lane is really underrated. Mm -hmm. I think Kramer's uh, been smashing their bottom lane as a whole, uh, especially by Western fans. I think it's going to be super underrated because uh, you know if you haven't been keeping up and watching so many of them, uh, Tucson as well as Kramer, I think have both been exceptional. You mentioned. Uh, Tucson's Rakan, you know, without you know having to be with Zaya, there were changes to the champion to kind of reduce the synergies there mm -hmm. and buff him up when he's not paired with her. But that is one of the champions, especially for me. You've heard me complain about Rakan uh, before, you know, being so squishy. And if you don't make use of the quick, uh, you know, engage that he does have, then I feel like it's so bad in the hands of bad players. But Tucson was actually so incredibly good mm -hmm. choosing the initiations as well as executing them. Um, that guy made me really excited to see, um, you know, the support play that he's going to bring, mm -hmm. uh, especially for the, you know, hard initiation, uh, initiation champions. Uh, so, I mean, usually I'm looking at King zone and of course praying gorilla and you're always like, all right, that's the best, you know, bottom lane that, that we have to offer. But I'm actually super excited for, uh, for this matchup now. And, and I think, you know, it, so I think it's very heavily King's own favored. Like for just, sure. They're insane. I think right? everybody agrees with exactly. you. But there was a post that every team that was eliminated from LCK playoffs predicts um, and they'll do King's own. King's own to, to win it. Yeah. But uh, we, we're trying to build the hype. You never know, man. But, but <laughs> what know. I, what I, my follow-up point is just that, so yes, it is King's own favored, but I do think that uh, unique picks and unique strategies can be like a really good way if you are an underdog to be able to take games and, and if not take a whole series. Um, so that's why I was so much more excited after for the finals after watching this series because if you can bring out you know Velkaz and Malphite and these sorts of picks that people are not going to be as practiced against and really play them extremely well. Uh, people do not necessarily know all the limits of those champions. They they can, are more prone to making mistakes into those champions. And and if you are, are clean at closing out games, that can be enough of an advantage sometimes to get some games. Yeah, but also just to prep people on King Zone, it's essentially Longju from last year, who was really good in the LCK and then fell apart a little bit at Worlds. Remove their rookie jungle from last week because put in Peanut. Super Peanut. Super he's like buffed he's up like, now. He's buffed up because he's with a lot of his old teammates and allowed to do what he wants. They're 16-2 and two in series score in the LCK, 33-7 and seven in game score. They're 4-1 and one game score against Afrika Freaks during the regular season and have just been absolutely smashing people. Like whenever there was like a KT King Zone game or King Zone SKT, like they would win in like 26 minutes. They'd win by 10,000 gold by 20 minutes. Like uh, they, they're doing a lot of stuff that just feels like it's making them untouchable. And occasionally 
that makes it strange when you get into those like close games. Oh, you're not used to playing from behind or, oh, you got caught off guard by some new pick. Like that's always a possibility. It's just uh, definitely one of the larger favorites I think there's been in an LCK final. And that's coming from a place where SKT has been a huge favorite in the final before. And they're also a team that, you know, when you speak about flexibility, that's one of the things that has impressed me throughout throughout the year for them too. Like when you look at BDD and his unique champion picks, like he has mm-hmm. split so much different stuff. Uh, it's actually pretty insane. It's like, you know, 12, 13, 14 unique champions in the mid lane, like, He's willing to be very flexible. They're all able to play just about everything. Like Peanut as well has has bust out like all kinds of different stuff. Um, so it, it is such a well-rounded team. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, there's always there's always a chance, right? When we when we were at Worlds last year, this this was the team. Yes, it is not with Peanut, but everyone was expecting so much from them. They got blasted by Samsung uh, once they got into playoffs, and, and that was a big upset. Uh, and you know, Africa in their first in their first finals. Who knows? Maybe they can pull off another crazy upset. Yeah, Kingzone. Um, it reminds me of when everyone all, always used to bring up the argument: Oh, five All Stars will never work together because there's not enough gold on the map or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. someone has to be the super supportive like bad player or whatever. Uh, I was always like, no, you always <laughs> want the five best players. There's no situation where I don't want the five best as players. As long as they work well together. Yeah, as long as they yeah. work well together. And these guys, they can do that. Like any yeah. of them can be the carry, right? And any of them can also uh, support that guy, you know, the guy who's carrying. So um, I feel like we have we have the example now. As long as they don't choke. Otherwise, as as everyone's going to hit if you. If they again. do, then I'll just be like, oh, well, never mind. You're right. And I also think it's one of those things where it's like when you when your players are enough better than the other people, it almost stops mattering if they work as well together because mm-hmm. it's like, well, you just won all your lanes. If you have a team with five LeBron James, well, <laughs> no one can guard him once, so you can't guard him five times. And so <laughs> it stops mattering if he plays well. Yeah, well, I was so I was also watching um, a bunch of interviews um, and older games, uh, researching for uh, MSI prep, mm-hmm. and I thought I found a the super interesting recent interview, like right after with the King Zone coach, talking about uh, you know the Africa series because they had just watched it. You know, they have the advantage in the LCK. Uh, setup that they have where you know number one gets to sit at the top yep, and watch everyone else all the monkeys fight in the finals until they until they get to him and he was like yeah Yasiel wasn't that uh you know surprising to us uh, a lot of people have been playing in solo queue uh papa smith was always talking about uh faker playing it a bunch and stuff uh, he was like yeah it, it wasn't that surprising and it made it sound like um they were more ready for a lot of these africa picks um so that's going to be super exciting but mm-hmm. also he said he thought that um, mid and jungle is going to be the most important mm. uh, two roles. And then, because the Afrika coach was also there, he was like, ah, I just figured, he's like, in this interview, I also learned what we should focus in uh, in, our, in our series <laughs> coming funny. up. But it does seem like that, that would definitely be a difficult thing versus, uh, you know, BDD and Peanut. Hard to uh, focus the jungler that's already coming in. Crow has been really good though. Yeah, he has right, been. I'm, super I'm excited. Good. I, I have I have hope. Yeah, and there's also a little bit of a grudge match, right? Because if you look back to their old rocks teams, which is somewhat of the incarnation of King's Own Dragon X with Pregorill and Peanut, Kuro was the mid laner on those teams, mm-hmm. right? So Kuro kind of got outcast off into the other land because everyone said he was the weak link of those old teams, and actually has been smashing lately. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that. But either way, it does mean SKT isn't going to MSI. 0%. G2 lost <laughs> to Fnatic, which we're going to talk about really soon. So not the same European team going to MSI. 
TSM lost in the quarterfinals, different NA team going to MSI. There's a chance, uh, depending on how some of the other things fall, that we have no returning teams from last year's MSI, from any of the regions, which would actually be somewhat crazy considering how many returning teams we had in 2017 from 2016. So that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Well, and it's even it's even crazier with SKT because this is the first time they would ever have not gone to MSI, yeah. as far as I know. So it's, it's not even just that they're missing it once. They've never missed it before, and they didn't even get close this time. So uh, it's pretty astounding. It'll be the first time we don't have Faker at MSI, first time we don't have you know a lot of those guys. So the only player, I think, who has a chance to actually uh, keep the streak alive of having attended every single one is Dumbledoge. 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 And, and he is not locked in yet, but uh, he could be the one and only. Yeah. And while, um, so I was thinking about it, you know, why, why was this happening? Right. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, uh, a lot of things just kind of lined up. A lot of those teams made, uh, you know, big changes as far as the players that are actually on the teams. Okay. Um, even though, you know, all the defending champions, um, you know, the teams are very solid mm -hmm. in a lot of the regions. Also the surrounding opponents, made a lot of upgrades. So it made, mm -hmm. it made sense if you, if you look down at, you know, team by team, region by region, um, what they're going up against and, mm -hmm. um, and the changes that did happen. But it's still crazy because, you know, in past years, SKT has made changes. They've made changes like every single year. Yeah. Um, but Different uh, top laner every single year. One yeah. of the things I, th I think kind of went wrong for SKT was I, I think they were expecting that they would have gotten a top laner. And I had heard, you know, a number of rumors about various top laners that they uh, extended offers to and got rejected. And that is probably not something you're expecting if you're SKT, right? You know, this is the team that has by far like the most dominant history in yeah, League of like, Legends. Willy Wonka gold ticket is at your door. And you're like, like nah, dog. <laughs> I'll have, I'll have some steamed broccoli over here. I'm fine. Uh, but, yeah, they got turned down by, you know, reportedly a number of, mm -hmm. of top laners, you know, including some from North America, from, you know, from people like in China, various various things. And, you know, even it was pretty publicized that they were pursuing Marin, and then Marin yeah. decided to take Spring off. So, like, they got rid of Huni. They go after all these guys like, ah, it's no problem. We'll just grab the best of the best. Like, usual no one was available no one wanted to come and now marin even for summer has signed in the lpl so i was expecting if if things didn't work out in spring that he would go to skt in summer but he's off his break and he's not available there so it'll be interesting to see how skt uh, is able to bounce back or if they are able to bounce yeah back well marin actually signed with like a bottom tier lpl team yeah it's top i want to say is the team I, I think that's the name yeah. of them but yeah skt i think one thing that happened last year with peanut and Hooney is potentially like think think about it if you are a, a top top laner and you're thinking about playing on skt with faker like peanut and hooney were somewhat outcasts right like mm. you're not guaranteed your spotting your starting spot the whole year because if you're underperforming a little bit they're going to sub in a different guy for you there's a chance you're only there for one year anyway because we know that that's faker's show right so maybe it's not as attractive as a place as it used to be uh, and I wonder if they're going to get anyone for summer because we know with all the long-term contracts that so many guys are signing, I don't think we're going to have the same amount of turnover worldwide that we normally do between spring and summer. So uh, them losing in the playoffs to KT and getting fourth place in LCK, there's a chance they don't make Worlds, yeah. right? Like a very real possibility that we're going to have to track in the summer split. We're going to start that conversation now, Kobe. We're going to bring it's back begun. the meme. Can SKT still make worlds? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's funny, but it's a little bit true, right? You know, and, and I do, I actually do think it's a really good point that you bring up because I've always had the impression that, like, K SKT is legendarily very strict, right? Like, even yeah. Peanut's talking about it, it's, it's not like, it's kind of a no-fun zone. It's, like, super serious all the time, focused on the game. It's about winning, right? And this is the team that always won. And 
for the first time last year, they look somewhat vulnerable. And if the only reason you go to SKT is to win and you are no longer like have this kind of winnings no longer guaranteed invincible aura around you that you're like, okay, I'll go there. I'll work really hard. It might not be fun, but I'm going to be a world champion. And, mm -hmm. and if you don't think that that is the best possible chance to do it, and it's not going to be fun, and it's going to be really strict in these sorts of things, then all of a sudden you're like, well, do I like? And I, potentially other teams this. are paying you more too. Exactly. So that it, it starts to lose some of its luster. Also, um, a decent amount of the players had the mentality like Smeb heading into it already. He was like, I'm not going to play on a team with Faker. I want to be the one that beats Faker. Mm -hmm. and that's kind mm -hmm. of the mentality that he had you know, when he joined uh, you know, KT and all that, and that's been his goal ever since Rocks Tigers. Ha -ha. Uh, in the end, it was actually Samsung. In the end, he should Beat have stayed on the old but, team. Uh... He should be in Khan's position. But let, let's move on from LCK. Uh, right. go, to, go to the European LCS where Fnatic had a 3-0 Bopped G2. With Plenta's, uh, excuse me, Penta's what? a plenty. Yeah. I combined it. One official Penta. With Two Plenta's unofficial a plenty. Plenty's a plenty. Yeah. Plenta's because the timer ran out in game one on Reckless's Tristana Pentakill. <laughs> uh, but still a pretty interesting series nonetheless. Personally, like, they had a sub-top laner for Soaz, who was on tank duty. Um, we'll, we'll talk about him uh, later. We're going to talk about the gameplay first. But I was specifically impressed with Fnatic's game three. And the reason was... Uh, when they were doing the Baron Dance, it was Caps' Rise doing a lot of split push duty, and then Reckless and the rest of the team just having really good wave management, which is something they weren't capable of doing last year. Mm -hmm. uh, Reckless actually said when he was on the EU For You podcast how last year the reason he was split pushing so much was because Caps didn't know how to play side lane. So it was always Caps in the mid lane, Reckless on the side lane, which isn't really the optimal way to play League of Legends. And this year, Fnatic's been all about not needing to get kills to win and instead playing the map to get wins. And I thought Game 3 in that series was the largest indicator that they were capable of doing that because they weren't necessarily up in kills the whole time, and they just kept extending this lead, getting turrets, getting inhibitors, and pressuring Baron. And they were so much better than G2 at that, uh, which was the biggest standout to me because we know Caps and Reckless are capable of winning 1v1, but the fact that they can win team play actually makes them a much more dangerous team. Yeah, I think Game 3 was definitely a good example of that. And Games 1 and 2 were, were good examples of literally them being better at five on five team yeah. fighting mm -hmm. like the the fact that in game number one they won like three team fights back to back and g2 had had started with this like five thousand gold lead or with something the Jinx and tom kench as well. yeah um i mean yes Fnatic had drafted braum compared to tom kench where there's mm -hmm. a huge discrepancy in the what you're going to bring to a five on five um and reckless was a monster and he was get he did get you know multiple pentas in this series but i really think a lot of credit should be given to the fanatic frontline mm -hmm. the kind of unsung heroes uh, of the five on five team fighting is always the tank role where they they had such good you know flanks from from Bwipo, the top laning mm -hmm. you're talking about um as well as broxa um and hillisung all denying the enemy AD carry time to get auto attacks off by, mm -hmm. by focusing with crowd control, uh, you know, and really good zoning and also uh, trying to peel the enemy tanks for Reckless. I just felt like the frontline difference allowed for so much uh, uptime for AD, uh, for Reckless com as compared to right. uh, Yarnin. It, it was just insane. And it read to, led to these crazy numbers like 1.4 
thousand DPM for uh, for reckless on the Tristana game mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, I just thought that they they really navigated those team fights well. Yeah, I think the 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 front lines is a good point. Like they did really outperform. I think on G two side or sorry on, on Fnatic side. I also felt like so much of so much of how the team fights like looked came down to the fact that. G2 didn't know how to play the map in response, right? Like, because they were taking when you look at when you look at game number one and the Baron that they tried to actually take, where they essentially like all got aced afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like, they are just forcing themselves in these positions. Like, a, a lot of the bad team fights all seemed around decisions around Baron or inaction around Baron, where they're getting split pushed on and they're not understanding necessarily how to respond and and position themselves on the map. And it's like it was it felt like it was allowing Fnatic to to pick the fights at the right times that they wanted and find those flanks and things like that. And you know, I was actually pretty disappointed with how Wadid played. I actually thought he, like, mm-hmm. in- individually played pretty poorly in a number of the fights on Tom Kench. Like, sometimes, you know, using his Devourer on the wrong target. There was one critical fight where he uses it on Shogath, and then yep. Jinx immediately dies. Um, but, like, it is it is one of those things where, yeah, you can look at a tank and be like, oh, that's so easy. But Fnatic's tanks, like, did play it a lot better. They navigated the fights a lot more intelligently. And they were given the opportunity to choose the correct fights because they played the map so much better. So it really did feel like kind of the total package, uh, which, as you say, makes it that much more impressive, right? Yeah. Like, uh, it, it honestly kind of reminded me a little bit of um, the TLC9 series where you see C9, like, is able to get these leads and G2 had mm-hmm. good individual players and were able to win lanes and sometimes and these sorts of things, but then they didn't really know what to do with it. And it started to feel a little bit inevitable as it did in that in that TLC9 series where Team Liquid just played the map so much better than, than C9. Fnatic just played the map so much better than G2. Yep. And additionally, were just way better at team fighting. Like, their 5v5 was pretty nasty. I mean, Reckless was deathless in the whole series. Uh, obviously had had a pretty standout series. And take game one as an example where G2 is the team with the Tom Kench and the Rise. Mm-hmm. That is your play the map with a lead team. And they had a four to 5,000 gold lead uh, and a Baron, which, by the way, if Perks just would have saved his Rise ult for after they took the Baron, they could have all escaped and mm-hmm. never even started that snowball and probably closed out game one pretty swiftly. Uh, but they weren't able to play the map properly pretty much the whole time. So there is in my opinion, a little bit of G2 choking in that, right? It wasn't all just this amazing fanatic macro machine. There was G2 definitely making some very clear mistakes in the series, but still pretty impressed with uh, Fnatic's growth as a team overall. What about Bwipo? I know, I know we have some thoughts on that. He's so <laughs> cocky, man. So, so the, thing, the thing that really rubbed me wrong about it, I love that he says he's better than the other team. I love that he says he's better than the other players. I really what what made me immediately go ooh don't like that was when he was like yeah I'm as good or better than so as like we're number one or number two uh, they were already thinking of of playing me instead of so as uh, before he got injured mm-hmm. like these sorts of things I don't like that you trash talk your teammate to me that's such yeah. a no no you never do that publicly uh, you leave your teammates like if if you want to say something if if you think you're better prove it great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love trash talking the other teams. Like that's that's great. But as far as like, there's nothing worse for hurting team morale than that sort of infighting and even taking like you know locker room topics or whatever taking going public. You know that sort of thing. Like if you think you're better than them, prove it, and you'll get played, and people will understand that, right? Like that is what really kind of rubbed me wrong about it. So as yeah. soon as he started talking bad about his teammate Soaz, who has such a tremendous career, is known as one mm-hmm. of the greatest players in EU. Not only did it seem insanely cocky, but it just seemed like. 
come on, man, have some class. Yeah, I 100% agree with you there. Yeah, not not a lot of room for argument on the other side, honestly. He did clarify a little bit on Twitter. He's like, I want to make a statement on my recent behavior. Uh, I'm coming over as incredibly cocky. I have no intention of taking back my words. He wanted to clear things up, and he basically said, uh, so as will be the starter unless his injury gets in the way. And that saying he was the best top laner is premature, but he will want to do it later. I, I still agree with you that, like, I, I I love trash talk. Yeah. And I think it's fine to be like, yeah, man, I did it. But also, after, look at what he actually did in the games. He gives up first blood both of the first two games. Game three, he gets first blood, but immediately dies to the turret after because they fumbled the turret dive and gives essentially a kill over to the enemy top laner. And he was a really good frontliner in team fights. I won't take away from that. Like he had super strong cues, but he's played like eight games. Like you can say that you're great, but don't then be, as you say, don't slip in that part about Soaz. After you've basically been the sub, great, you were a serviceable tank. That's not. That's not the time to say those things. Yeah, because uh, it, it's funny if you're trash talking the the rest of the league, right? Yeah. And even if they trash talk you back, you know, haha, That's whatever. Great. Or even if you give yeah. up first blood. Hey, we got the two best you. top laners. Yeah. We proved it, and they'll be like, and they can be like, no, you haven't. Like you played tanks, <laughs> but you still said it, and you've won. And like winning cures all. When you win, you you can say what you want, so to speak. But yeah, uh. but I feel like one of the biggest reasons uh, to not bring up you know the the internal stuff and the team stuff is because. Your team is going to perform better and you are going to have a better relationship with the starter or or the substitute, you know, as mm -hmm. the other guy. If if you are both on the same page and you have this friendly relationship and you are trying to learn from each other and work off of each other and try and try and have that team mentality. Mm -hmm. If you start to bring in the competition in-house and be like, oh, I'm better than you. I'm going to get tomorrow's starting spot. And then, then the other guy's going to start, like, hiding stuff or, or keeping stuff close to him. And and they're, they're, the trust is going to kind of crack. And it, you're not going to have a better overall outcome because uh, the synergy is gone. You don't you don't get to build together. And, yeah. and that's what kind of, you know, was a kind of like a too bad there because you don't really get to – get a second chance at that type of yeah. stuff once once the seed of doubt has been placed you're like do i really trust azale i mean he's kind of sneaky i don't know should you <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i think part of it is like he was really feeling himself when he won right like he's played a couple games and they, he just and, won a and title. he got to win a title right so that's part of it and I, I don't know how old he is but i'm sure he's very young and you know you're on stage and even in the post-game interview he's like ah, i proved i'm the best right it's like <laughs> yeah. well your team was way better than the other team like the games weren't yeah. really against you like or about you, and caps you know? and they were crushing each game and yeah. you, were, you were there like, yeah, you were successfully. Teaching. I thought he did have some really good flanks and yep. some really good frontline play. Because way better than I expected. Like he a was definitely top lane. It was it was strong, right? right? But it wasn't like hot damn. Yeah. This guy just carried the game. It was like, ooh, he's a pretty good tank. Yeah. yeah. When I first saw that Soaz was injured and I saw that video, I'm like, oh damn, this could be trouble for them. Like, good thing they started Whippo in week nine and gave him some reps. But there's still a chance that he, you know, gets picked on and there's a liability. And I actually do think he was picked on and was not good in the laning phase. So, mm -hmm. like, if the rest of the team wasn't winning, he would have been a liability. But credit to him, he didn't tilt in any of those games, and he played in team fights. Also, 
he stopped his Scion ult early so Reckless could get the last auto on the last guy for his pen. All right, I take it back. He's the best. Would a cocky player do that, Azale? <laughs> I, I was judging the speed. I was, I was like, like, you're off the team if you take that. He's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Puts on the brakes. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that was just in time. Good job. <laughs> Calculated. One one guy I did want to give credit to though from uh, from G 2s side, you know, talking a bit more individually about the games. Was I actually thought Yankos was a monster in the in the oh, yeah. series. Yankos like his early games were so incredibly good. He it felt like he was finding you know so many ganks, so many opportunities, um, and and really performing well individually, which I think you know is is noteworthy because he was always supposed to be like the choke artist in playoffs who could never get to finals and and he did get to finals and not only did he do that but I actually thought individually he performed incredibly well uh I thought he was really really shining in in this series and you know one one person does not win this series right mm-hmm. but uh he really did stand out and then also you know on the other side caps I think you know, a pretty incredible series from him too. Even just going up against Perks, obviously everyone already knew Caps is really good, but yeah. I think it has to feel good from Caps' point of view uh, to be able to like be beating Perks individually in some of these games mm-hmm. and and really looking strong because Perks has been considered the best in Europe uh, for for quite a while, right? You, you won know? four in a row. Exactly. That's Zoe solo kill. Yeah, his Zoe is actually really good. Caps Zoe. Uh, I think people are definitely gonna have to keep that in mind for MSI. Speaking of that, Miami. Move on to North America. Team Liquid, also a 3-0. Really fast 3-0, too. Technically mm-hmm. the fastest finals we've had in game time. Second fastest series we've had, with the fastest being the third-place match <laughs> yeah. of Echo Fox demolishing Clutch. It was a fast weekend, but let's just start with thoughts on TL and the way they kind of came together throughout this season uh, because they started hot. They were 5-1. and one. Then they lost that showdown with Cloud9. Seem to be finding themselves throughout the rest of the regular season. Mm-hmm. But as soon as playoffs rolled around and they committed to bot lane priority, it worked. And it didn't seem like anyone could touch them. Yeah, I think the journey, this split, was really interesting for Team Liquid because because of the, the kind of tribulations that you talk about them going through, um, there were questions at times. You know, during the regular season, impact actually wasn't consistent he was bad in a lot of games yeah there there were times and then um there was a lot of interviews and and stuff in the public about double lift and ole not having instant synergy Mm -hmm. um and and going through a process of how do we give and take feedback and that's that's a difficult thing to do you know Mm -hmm. uh fortune 500 companies struggle with with that stuff for for years and years but it seems like they they were able to uh, make a lot of headway in a lot of these areas. You know the communication they talked about. Um, you know, one example was the the Mia calls or whatever, where Smoothie specifically was like roaming on them, killing you know top side, killing bottom side, mm-hmm. that type of stuff. They were able to clean up that communication. Uh, it seems like the bottom lane is working better together. They're probably not where they want to be. Um, I think they said, but uh, there the improvements were definitely. Uh, seen in the finals as well as it makes you think back to when they were struggling and double had that interview where he's like don't worry guys we're trying stuff on stage you know we're, <laughs> we're not trying our optimal strategy we know what has the highest percentage uh you know win for us and we're not you know trying to do that and everyone's like, like ah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. you, you, you always, always say that and now you're like oh 
okay, <laughs> because they had this like very formulaic uh, win strategy, and you go like, okay, double if I see you. The thing that stood out to me uh, after their 3-0 was hearing more about how they've actually been trashing literally everyone in scrims. And I know we hear about scrims sometimes, but even like Hunter Thieves was saying, yeah, when we scrimmed them, like we couldn't beat them in scrims. Like they just beat us every time. And then you heard those clutch stories about Team Liquid winning every scrim in like 10 minutes and just being up 20 kills to zero. There was no one that was even coming close to beating TL in scrims for like the past three weeks of the regular mm -hmm. season. So finally they translated some of that onto stage, but that type of scrim dominance is pretty rare. Yeah, it's funny because... Before I was like, oh, I'm not going to take, you know, scrim results into accounts for predictions. <laughs> but it but, reaffirms now. Well, when, no, when I got there first day. But after day, you see, you have to ask. The first, <laughs> Will team lick? <laughs> the first day in Miami when I was talking uh, to both of them um, and, and Echo Fox and Team Liquid were just like, yeah, we're just so much better than the other teams. We're, we're just stomping them in all of these scrims. And it's like, we win every single one. So then I based both my predictions for third place and first place smash off of that. Off scrims? Off of the scrim. Ah. They turned out to be right. So I'm back on that scrim hype train. Did um, you predict the double 3-0, though? I did, no, I did not. I did not. I was not that bold. Yeah. But, uh, I got the Echo Fox series. I was pretty wrong about the finals. Yeah. I mean, I thought Clutch was going to show up on stage like they always do. We've been hearing they've been sucking in scrims yeah. all year. Yeah. And then it turned out to also suck on stage for it, once. It was it is interesting because so you come away from it and you're like, Yep, team look it absolutely blasted them. This was like, you know, not a close series and stuff, but I do like I did feel like well in both the series, but you know, talking just specifically about the finals, game one felt like it was Hundred Thieves game to win and it really did seem like that one play around Baron. Uh the Baron gets stolen by Smithy. Mm -hmm. Um and that was enabled by like a really nice play from Impact because he actually throws his his like goop over the wall and singe. I can't yeah. think what that, that ability is called. Mega adhesive. Mega adhesive. Which grounds I got you. Which... I, I think you said that in the cast too. Did I? I wasn't casting. Oh no, never mind. It was it was Irene. It was yeah. Irene. He had the same thing where he couldn't think of the name. He called it like Goop also. There you go. Or whatever. That was pretty. Reminds think alike, but yeah. that that denied Aframu from mm -hmm. actually like stopping the steal, right? Because that is yep. that is a standard play. Your Alistar stands at the edge. He wards over the wall, and when you're getting ready to smite, he headbutts the jungler out of range because, yep. and that's how you prevent it. That's what they were counting on. But I don't think they even took into consideration the fact that that Singe could actually go for this sort of play. Um, but that in combination with the fact that Smithy actually pulled it off, turned that game on its head. And and I really felt like from that game state, it was 100 Thieves game, uh, you know, if they get that Baron. Uh, and everything went bad after that. Game two, game three, like it felt like a little bit of, of mental boom to me. So it was, yeah. it was really interesting to kind of see, A, Team Liquid played incredibly well, but B, like what would the series have looked like, you know, if, if that didn't happen? Yeah, I will say uh, that that was a huge moment in the series. The game leading up to 100 Thieves set up to the Baron was still in TL's favor, right? Like, yes, there was that brief moment in time where 100 Thieves was in a position to win, but TL uh, had bot lane priority with Caitlyn. They had like a 2,000 gold lead. And then it was actually 100 Thieves who generated a few Skarner picks to get it even in gold and then force the Baron, which could have given them a momentum in that game. But I think Team Liquid was actually winning the early game in that one. If I recall, Team Liquid was down in gold because 100 Thieves swapped top, Not took before first the turret, got, got, first, like, got first blood as well. They were losing in lane, but after their after the lane swapped top, they were up in gold. I, I'm kind of remembering more like Jat where... Uh, Team Liquid had 
the momentum or you know some leads early. Then Hundred Thieves started making multiple yep. plays, yep. and it was through a lot of playmaking that Hundred Thieves you know got this opportunity. Exactly, like they, they were in a position yeah. to win before the Baron, for sure. Yeah, that's but what I'm it was about. basically like, they picked double if, the and that's what gave them the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Before that, it was To winning the early game. Yeah. Anyways, I I really do like the the point about the singe thing too. I wouldn't have even uh, realized it until Zyrene said it. But then it got me also thinking about other things that you can do with the mega adhesive, um, and a lot of like priority things in the meta right now, like Orn, because it's ranged, you can put mega adhesive, shoot it onto Orn after he starts his ultimate, mm -hmm. and. It counts as a dash to try and do the second headbutt. Wait, so you block the second part? So you of the can just yeah. If he's on it, uh, I feel insane. like that's a range counter to to Orn ultimate. So you don't have to just have Braum. Mm -hmm. Um and, and so more picks like that, like you're talking about Azel earlier about um, you know the creativity of teams like Afrika. Yeah, I think that'll be super interesting because there has been so much discussion on impact for the last like two years almost mm -hmm. about how he's. Only this tank player, and you know, during the playoffs, he's not as consistent in playoffs and international events. He kind of gets this buff or whatever, and he's super uh, consistent and he, he performs well. But now, with Conqueror coming in with the new um, patches that we're going to mm -hmm. be on mm -hmm. for, which is going to be 8.8, .8, that's not even out by the way, mm -hmm. for MSI. Um, people are also already starting to speculate. Oh, is Impact going to be, you know, the weak point of Team Liquid? They're not going to be able to do this formulaic style that they went all the way through playoffs and stuff through. What do you guys feel about um, these types of things that have been leveled at Impact? Because I thought that his Singe pick was so big for them when he mm -hmm. was taking like eight tank bands or whatever, uh, and he still got something in his pocket, and he has these creative uses for the abilities even. Yeah, one, one thing about Impact is... Uh, he is not your traditional Korean top laner, if that makes sense. Uh, he is super good at team play, has like leadership qualities, and makes a lot of plays outside of lane. Uh, whereas a lot of times you'd think of a Korean top laner like doesn't lose lane and plays really safe uh, and stuff like that. I do think there were times in the season where he was really weak. And I do think if it does become about carries, that's going to limit TL a little bit in the ban phase. But I don't think the meta is guaranteed to go back to carries. Like, you can look at what's happening in the LCK playoffs and we'll see in the LPL playoffs with tank picks. Like, the Afrika series, if you pick Malphite into Camille, that's totally something Impact can do, right? And then you're now forcing bans from the other team. His Ornn is super solid. Scion's super solid. His Maokai was not <laughs> against Nar, But as, as you say, his Singe was strong as well. So I don't think he will be a liability but I'm not expecting him to be like this huge boon of advantage for Team Liquid at MSI. It'll, it'll be interesting to me because because I think the thing where it gets it gets really tough. I mean, you know, you can look at like the Malphite and Camille and stuff, but like every lane is winning for the Malphite's team, and in those situations, it can become really easy. I think it can it can become extremely hard uh, to make plays when everyone's losing or everyone's like everyone's behind or you're being pressured heavily. And like at international, when you're talking about like playing against the best teams, if you're playing against LPL teams or the LCK teams and stuff, like you can't always expect to get uh, these mistakes. And it was kind of interesting, like, you know, I, I feel like when you play less heavily about, like, your mechanical skill and, and, like, less about just, like, winning lane and more about making these plays on the map or, or capitalizing on your opponent's mistakes, you're relying on on those mistakes, right? You're relying on those things to show up. And, and if teams are playing at a higher level or, like, and not showing you those mistakes, then it can become pretty tough, I think, to actually find a way into the game. So that's maybe my concern. And I do think that... 
um, while Impact has had a lot of flexibility as far as the tanks he is willing to play, mm -hmm. if people feel that his laning phase is exploitable, we may see uh, more heavy priority on like on trying to get those those laning phases and actually trying to set them up and, and camp for them, right? Because even in that Malphite Camille game, the Camille is up a bit of farm and it is an uninterrupted lane, right? If you start killing off the Malphite, then those things can start to become problematic. But obviously, from behind, a tank still can have impact. So it's like I, I don't think he's going to be irrelevant by any means because tanks like a good tank player is always going to have use in the game. Mm -hmm. um, but if Doublelift and Olay like aren't advantaged against the bottom lane. And your and your top laner is kind of losing lane a little bit. Like, is Pobelter going to outcarry some of these like mm -hmm. the caps or something? Like, that's where it starts getting more concerning. Where everyone has to perform at a really really high level to beat teams that are equally or or even better. I would even challenge the idea that Impact is going to be only a tank player. Mm -hmm. Teams are banning Camille and Gangplank against him uh, already, and he played. Um, people are talking about how he's played a whole bunch of it in solo queue so I've, and he has a jack skin <laughs> he has an skt jack skin yep. like the i feel like he has it in him to um you know show some more looks for us so uh, I, i'm definitely I he can i'm them. definitely curious to see what it will look like right i don't I, I mean yes i think that he you know has a much higher tendency to play the tanks and, and it's probably going to tend towards that but yeah i wouldn't I, completely rule it out but there's also a reason, I mean, that like when you look at the received bands, it's all tanks. Their most received bands are all tanks for top lane. When you look at the bands that they're doing, they banned uh, GP in 90% of the games, and the only games that they didn't ban it in was when their opponents banned it, because GP's good into tanks, right? Like, they very clearly wanted to play tanks and play into tanks. It's the same reason they banned a lot of Cho'Gath and, like, as well. Um, and they had a really high focus on that throughout playoffs. And I think that's a totally valid strategy. Um, and, and can work. And I do agree he can play GP when you think about some of his best games in the past in NALCS. It was playing GP and holding on against heavy pressure and these sorts of things. So he certainly is capable. Um, you know, I'm looking at it more from the point of view of like, is he exploitable maybe against like the very, very best teams? I think probably, yeah. Uh, but like, you know, we would talk about before, they're probably not good. Like King Zone, it's not, it's not uh, reasonable to expect to beat them anyway, probably. Mm -hmm. And if IG or whoever like people are expecting comes out of China, that's going to be a very uphill battle anyway. Um, but past that, do I think that uh, Bwipo or Soaz is going to like really exploit Fnatic and make him weakness? No, I don't. Do I think right. any of the other teams are? No, I don't. Not at all. Um, and if the LPL or LCK teams do, it's probably just because they're just a better team, right? Like it's less about the individual thing where I think it's interesting because if we're going into worlds, I'd actually be more concerned because then there's more teams from these top regions that then you end up with like Smeb and other other top laners and, and Khan and all these guys who then can maybe like there's more matchups that you're more concerned about. But at MSI, because there's just like one from each region and you're not really expecting to beat the Korean team or the LPL team anyway, it's like, oh, well, okay, maybe you're not going to have problems against the others. Yeah, and if like we, we know it's going to be King Zone or Frika. I think it's going to be King Zone. Yeah. Uh, IG is a huge favorite in the LPL because they're actually 18 and 1 in the regular season. And the Shy is even insane. more dominating. I mean, we're, even we're basically Duke, looking like, even at, if they use Duke, like Duke's put a lot as well. We're basically yeah. looking at, like, can NA finish top four to make it bracket stage? Yes. Because we know they're in the group stage with two other teams that will be determined from the play in stage. Maybe it will be uh, the Vietnam team and the LMS if, like, patterns hold. And then it's kind of about the showdown between Fnatic and TL. Who 
who's going to like what, what's your first impression on their matchup with Fnatic? Because that's essentially kind of what we're arguing. I don't think we're we're going to argue that TL should be favored against mm-hmm. IG or against Kingzone if they make it. I, I think that Vietnam is also going to be super fierce. So that's it's interesting why, like, because it's not the Gigabyte Marines, right? But team. I th- but so there's been so much about Vietnam, how big the region is, mm-hmm. um, and also like other good players have come out of Vietnam. So I I'm looking forward again, you know, to the, mm-hmm. kind of the reveal. Because I feel like I feel like there's a reason that they were made, you know, into their own region uh, this time around, uh, and, and have a spot. Uh, yeah. It'll be really interesting because I, I do think how good the Vietnamese team looks in planes will reveal a lot about the tournament. Yeah. Because um, the Gigabyte Marines, they they lost Levi. Levi was their big star, um, and. When I remember it was it was either going into Worlds or MSI last year, they were actually role swapping in the finals and still sweeping the team and stuff. Like they were so much better than the rest of their region, and maybe the region has improved enough over that over the year, or maybe talent has diluted enough. Like I'm just wondering, is there another team that is Gigabyte Marines level that is coming out of that that will challenge internationally, or was that like you know the kind of exception? Because I'm if if there is if there is, that's super exciting, yeah. and then the tournament becomes much more wide open because then there is very clearly like more than just the four teams. Um, um, you know, and if you do have a Vietnamese team or and like a Turkish team or whoever comes out and can really challenge, like you know LMS, etc., mm-hmm. um, then the team the tournament becomes much more wide open and these questions become uh, more pressing. Yeah, and my pressing questions for TL uh, are actually less about impact because I think he's such an internationally clutch player, mm-hmm. and more about whether Doublelift can have a good showing internationally because he always seems to dominate domestically and then isn't great on international stage. And then Paul Belter and Smithy, if you think back to week two Worlds last year when Immortals had that collapse, they didn't keep up with the meta. Smithy was playing Jungle Ezreal, and we had all these graphics prepped to talk about how great Paul Belter's week one was, and as soon as we did that, he started feeding. Like, those two guys definitely choked in the second week of Worlds, and that's what I'm interested in doing. Smithy's had a good MSI before. He made it to finals on COG. Pobelter hasn't. He wasn't on that COG team. Doublelift was also not on that COG team when that happened. So those are actually my bigger questions towards whether or not TL can succeed is what's Pobelter and Smithy going to do against Peanut BDD or if Rookie gets there? Like tho- yeah. and Or even Broxa Caps. Because those guys have had a really good duo throughout all the ULCS. So that's what I'm really interested in. It's also kind of interesting because Doublelift has never actually gone to MSI. And, you know, like, and that's something that you wouldn't necessarily realize because he's been around forever and he's gone to Worlds a ton of times, but he's never actually been on the team that is one spring split because uh, with CLG, it was after he left and 6A was there. And then with TSM, uh, most recently, it was with Wild Turtle while he was taking a spring off. So he hasn't actually gone himself. Uh, and this is an opportunity for him to kind of have, you know, a, a big international showing. Um, but as far as against Fnatic, like, I, I think that TL definitely has, like, has the ability to beat Fnatic. And, and Fnatic definitely has the ability to, to beat TL. I think it's going to come down to, to, like, how these teams are playing as far as the meta goes and how they're working together. Because both of them looked, like, severely outclassed their opponents and played the map much uh, more intelligently than their opponents in the finals. So, like, these are two teams that I think should be fairly evenly matched as far as when you look at, like, individual skill, as far as you look uh, being able to play the map and these sorts of things. And um, and, and it could be pretty interesting because I, I do agree, Jat, that, like, uh, a lot could come down to Doublelift and, and, and Olay and how they're playing as a duo because I think that, uh, you know, Reckless and Hillsang, like, play so well together. Um, and while I do think that, like, Olay and Doublelift individually could be just as good, uh, they haven't necessarily shown that they have the same level of cohesion uh, as those guys. Anything else? Want to move on to Twitter questions? Let's do it. Sweet. We got one Twitter question. I'm searching for a few more right now, but 
Uh, how do you think Conqueror will affect MSI? This is from Johnson uh, or at Damn For Real Law. How will Conqueror affect MSI and LSK Finals? Will it force junglers to be tanks to avoid uh, some weird teamfight matchups? Is Conqueror not strong enough and will be played around? So essentially, like, what will Conqueror do to the patch? We talked about this a little bit already. Yeah, I think Conqueror will be in the meta. I don't think it's going to eclipse tanks, though. Um, as a lot of people were like, oh, Conqueror is in, can't play tanks anymore uh, because it's, you know, true damage conversion, and, and it's so good for bruisers. Uh, we already saw some LCK playoffs with Conqueror. You know, they're on 8.6 already, and tanks are still getting played just fine. There are, uh, I think it will be used, though, right? I think it does add some diversity. Yeah, I, I'm kind of a, of a similar opinion. I mean, I, th I think that the champions it's it's good on just kind of got better, but it didn't like completely change the situations in which you would use them, right? Mm -hmm. um, and some of the champions who it's like super, super good on, like by far the best on, are also just really risky. Like, I think one of the biggest winners for Conqueror, and I think we even talked about this probably when it was coming out, was is Trinomir. Trinomir is actually super, super strong with Conqueror, but is Trinomir a competitive pick? What do you play it into? It, that's my point, right? So it's I, like, it doesn't like, the, a lot of the champions that are like super, super good with it, you might, you probably won't even use in competitive. It doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily change the situations in which you would use the champion. I think Kled right? might be a better example because he, yep. he's closer to the meta. It's super good on Kled, you know, so maybe we see, but like you're saying, it's not going to change the situation that you see that champion. Exactly. It does make him better. And and even even with Kled, press the attack is like the same win rate as as Conqueror, right? Like it's not actually even massively better. Like the only one that I can really think of, uh, and I'm trying to actually look through and see if there's anything that I'm not thinking of, um, that it is massively better on does seem to be like Trindamir. Um, because, you know, even Camille, we still see people taking comments sometimes. Press the attack is better in, like, these short matchups. It's, like, it's really about, like, grinding it out on tanks and these sorts of these sorts of things. Um, but Conqueror does does affect it. I mean, LCK and LPL and stuff, we've seen, like, Renekton with Conqueror. Like, yeah. I do think that you can see, like, you know, Fiora and Kled and, and even Camille and these sorts of champions bringing it. We saw Yasuo in, in the African mm -hmm. series play Conqueror as well, but that wasn't even into a tank, right? Like, I think it's good, but it doesn't completely change the meta. It just, like, like you have to already be good at playing that style, and split yeah. push is just a very hard style to do. So it's not like you're going to see TL completely abandon the tank strategy and be like, no, we're going to split push with impact every game because of Conqueror. It's not that much better. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, too, about the win rates with, with things like that. When there are similar keystones, mm -hmm. and a lot of the success of a keystone will depend not on the champion that you're using, but on the champions that you're against. Yeah. Yep. And the faith that I have in like the general population choosing the right keystones against the right totally yeah. or whatever. And, and that totally Yasuo, comes into play. I'm playing Conqueror rather than thinking about I'm Yasuo in this matchup, therefore I'm going to take Conqueror. Yeah, like I actually think that in the mid lane matchup into, I believe he was playing into Talia, it's actually just better to be press the attack probably, yeah. right? Like it's if for like four bursting and stuff. Yeah. But. You just reminded me, Maybe, you yeah. just reminded me of Kuro's dragon fight. That was The Yasuo dragon fight where he gets the knockoff and they just... Uh, oh, couldn't have done that without that's Conqueror. a good series plug the Africa uh, yeah, series again go watch it that thing's awesome next order question Elliot James Menge uh, says first hope you had safe travels back to LA thank you I actually really hate the Miami to LA flight because it's deceptively long uh, but I'll continue the Twitter question I've heard a lot about aggressive play styles in other regions compared to NA and wonder if you think TL's style especially from finals will be able to match them at MSI um, I mean, I think so. It's 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 about minimizing mistakes, right? Like, it's not like you have to play ultra aggressive, but like when you watch the LPL, a lot of their games are decided, uh, you know, 
on these ultra aggressive like five man bot plays and these sorts of things that that people are able to pull off and if a team is able to, is is going for that sort of play and you can deflect it or shut it down then you have a big advantage right if you do not then you're probably screwed because if you lose if you lose your bot duo and you lose the turret and you lose all these things the game snowballs and the teams are good enough to do that so it's it's to me the question is how well can they prepare for those strategies and deflect them right because i don't think that overnight you can just change your entire strategy and, and adapt to that so it's how well can you respond yeah i would say that team liquid has scrimmed a bunch with echo fox and echo fox are an extremely aggressive team mm. even more in scrims that we have never even seen yeah. than than on stage i've also heard that echo fox doesn't have a huge amount of value scrimming against because that might be true too <laughs> they always just 2v2 top lane so you're wondering like what do we do we just we either counter gank or we we know dardock's not going to be in bottom lane or mid lane so do we gank those because it's going to be top and they just like drill that over and over again so uh if you're expecting someone to camp top lane echo fox is a great scrim opponent because they're really good at that uh but that's that's always one of those funny things one thing i think that changes a bit and probably like playing at echo fox is probably really good prep for like the super aggressive teams for top side of the map yeah but their bottom side of the map you know compared to some of the lpl bot lanes which are yeah. pretty insane and super aggressive and that's that's one of the differences to me is how heavily the focus is always there like it seems like no matter what they're going to all be bought. It's going to be this insane fight. Like, mm -hmm. and and the thing is, it, it's it's weird because I want to say like it's like a high risk, high reward type type situation. But then when you watch IG and they just like do it every game and it works every game, you're how like, how risky is it really? Like, yeah, like is it even that risky if you can do it perfectly? Like if you can just set it up this well and uh, and I guess you know. I, I'm I'm really hoping that IG qualifies because I want to see IG versus Kingzone. Like I just that's like my yeah. dream matchup to watch at MSI because I think that would be so exciting. I'm hoping they make it based on the regular season and also to see if the LPL is playing the game right, mm -hmm. so to speak. Because they play it different. They play it differently. They're the one region that actually feels like they're not a part of the same global meta that everyone else is. They play on average five minutes faster. Than other regions uh we just had the fastest finals week ever we're the Boys. best we're trying just say i know our playoffs were just definitely fast, but <laughs> the true. league in general playing five minutes faster than everyone else i want to see uh how that manifests at msi but you guys got anything else to add i think i think that's the last twitter question i was able to pull you did a great job thanks man i'm proud of you that's gonna do it for episode 14 of the dive spring split is done TL is going to MSI. Fnatic's going to MSI. Still a few more teams to qualify. Kingzone's going to, I mean. Uh... LPL playoffs is just starting, by the way. There's an team playoff. Can make MSI? First game is tonight between RNG and Team WE. So watch that one because somehow those guys are playing in the first round of the playoffs based on regular season results. Uh, we will announce uh, at a later date when our next episode is. Keep tuned for it. We'll probably still be releasing on Wednesday for mm -hmm. our next one, but uh, keep your hands on Twitter for Riot Azale, Riot Kobe, Riot Chat. We will tweet as soon as we know when our next episode is. So see you then.